Welcome to Mox on the Mic, your exclusive look into all things Chattanooga athletics. Here's your host, Chris Goforth. Welcome in this week to Mox on the Mic. I'm Chris Goforth. Glad to have you along with us this week and glad to welcome in our special guest. He's Nathan Barger. He is the Director of Sports Medicine here at UTC and his challenge over the last, I don't know, nine months. Well, since the last time we visited with him, which was back in about March of last year, has been navigating the oftentimes treacherous and ever-changing waters that is the COVID-19 pandemic. Nate, I know this has been a challenge. What's been the biggest challenge for you in your role and kind of dealing with this? Well, I think the biggest challenge has been creating something out of nothing. And there was essentially no roadmap for how, how do we navigate this? How do we live with this? How do we um, create an environment in which is the kids can succeed? So I think the biggest thing was learning how to be successful in the environment that, that COVID has produced. How do we get the kids back on the field and do it in a safe way? And I think that was the most challenging part of it because essentially you're creating something out of nothing, nothing, but you're also asking the kids to change all the habits that they've ever known. It is not normal to socially distance from your friends in college. It is not normal to, to wear a mask on your face every day. It's, it's not normal to not have the camaraderie in the locker room that you used to have because guys can't hang out together. So between those two things, I think those were the things that stick out the most about the most difficult parts of the process. There's nothing that prepares you for this, right? I mean, we talked with Mark Wharton about this and his, his tenure in, in athletic administration, there's, you know, there's nothing that can prepare you for this and your role in, in sports medicine, there's, there's, you don't take a class on how to deal with a pandemic, do you? No, sir. No, sir. Not at all. I, um, I was in the process of finishing my doctorate when everything hit and, you had hoped that, you know, that level of education prepares you something or at least a little bit for the for this, but not even that um, prepared you for what we were about to undertake from March until now. How have the athletes responded to the protocols and the the suggestions that that you guys have made? Because to me, it's like, look, you, you can equip them. But with, with the knowledge of it, but at the end of the day, they've got to know that they've got to stay socially distanced. They've got to watch where they go and who they're around. At the end of the day, maybe you can control them when they're in that arena or the, the, the athletic department facilities, but when they're off on their own, it's all on them. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and that just goes back to changing daily habits, that was the biggest problem we had to overcome when we brought athletes back because essentially they were just removed in March and they've been at home ever since. Well, then we had to put them back into that climate of the college climate and they wanted to revert back to old habits. So those first two months were the most difficult months for us trying to change habits, telling guys to wear the mask, telling guys to stay apart. And I think that was the, um, I think that's what's going to separate the, the return, you know, back in the summer to the return now is kids understand what is expected from them now. They understand what it's going to take for them to be successful. When we first brought students back, there was a spike in cases, but that was, I mean, that's to be expected when you bring students from all over the nation back into one spot. 
And then once they fully realized, you know, to be successful, to be successful and to not have the situations of COVID cases, this is what was expected of them. This is what they had to do. And then once they changed their habits, they changed their behaviors, we started seeing a lot of success and the numbers went down for us a lot. So August and September were the most difficult months. Oh, you? by far, by far. It was, um, like I said, it just goes back to the policies and procedures were changing. We were building something out of nothing and we had to get buy-in from the student athletes to change their behaviors. And then once we achieved that, I won't, I won't say it's smooth sailing, but it was much, much easier once everyone bought into, you know, what we were trying to do. So are, are you seeing the number of positive cases now amongst student athletes? Is that number going down as we sit here in early January? Yes, sir. It has. Um, it has. It's went down significantly. Now, is that because student athletes aren't wanting to report? Is it because they're away from campus? You know, we've really tried to keep tabs on a lot of our student athletes to make sure that they were staying healthy and that no one had any issues. And so far over the winter break, we haven't had any. But we have seen um, a change in positive cases. Now, is that because the kids are home and they're, they're kind of keeping to themselves and that they're not having a lot of interaction like they used to? Um, I don't know yet because the culture or the climate around us, the cases are going through the roof. And I think we're going to really see um, a change once we get kids back on campus. And I think the first month is going to be rough. You know, when you bring all the students back together, it's going to be uh, difficult. But I think after we get through the first four weeks, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. We're testing every student athlete when they come back to provide a safe um, reacclimatization for everyone. And I think that's going to help us a lot too. What's the testing process like for athletes right now? It is very strenuous. Um, initially, when we spoke and when we brought kids in in the summer, testing capabilities were slim to none. And the only programs that had testing capabilities were those who could afford it. Well, now cost and availability have went way down. And now we're able to test three, four times a week. So with men's and women's basketball, they're getting tested three, four times a week. If they, if it warrants testing over that, then we're going to do that. We have the capability to do rapid testing on, on campus. We, we just got an additional two machines. We have four rapid testing machines now. So um, all the students are getting tested frequently, at least, at least once a week. And there's a tier system for high-risk, intermediate, and low-risk sports. But for the most part, everybody's at least getting tested once a week. And we won't send any of our student athletes on a road trip without being tested first. So the protocol changes from sport to sport then? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The NCAA set out guidelines about what was defined as a high risk, high contact, intermediate and low. Um, but what we essentially did was we decided that we were going to you know, test 72 hours uh, to one day before any of our student athletes traveled because of the risk of exposure. If somebody gets on a bus or a van and they have the virus, the, the likelihood that they'll transmit it to their peers is extremely high. Who all's being tested? So it is tier one and support staff. So it is student athletes, 
their strength and conditioning coaches, their sport coaches, athletic trainers, anyone who has direct contact with the student athletes on a daily basis will get tested. And then even going into the games, we have our support staff and our sports information staff that will get tested. So we're trying to protect the bubble as much as possible by testing frequently and anyone who would have direct contact with their student athletes. You know, the NCAA has allowed athletes to be able to opt out, uh, due to this, due to this pandemic. Have you, have you answered questions about that from, from student athletes, uh, and their feelings on whether or not they should be playing? Yes, sir. We had a lot of concern when everything first came out. There was just so much unknown with the virus. Um, and upon the initial return to campus, that we had a lot of questions. We had a lot of concerns from family members. We had a lot of concerns from the student athletes themselves. And to mitigate those concerns and to kind of address them and bring them to the light, we just set up Zoom calls with myself, with University Health Services, with chief epidemiologists. And we had an open forum to let the kids ask, the student athletes ask as many questions and whatever they wanted to do and, and give them different outlets. So they're not just hearing it from myself because when it's coming from me, there's a, you know, there's a tendency for student athletes to maybe think that's biased because I work within the athletic department. So we gave them plenty of resources outside the athletic department with the public health officials on campus to make sure that everyone was fully vetted to have the most accurate information so they can make a decision about whether they felt like it was safe to return to campus. Are you finding the testing that you're getting now, is it better? Is it more reliable in January than it was in August? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, now, of course, with the, with the rapid testing machines, there's a degree of um, specificity that varies. Um, rapid tests aren't as reliable as the golden standard PCR. Uh, but what we are seeing is that if somebody, if an individual is experiencing symptoms, the, the rapid test machines have been working extremely well. We've not missed any student athlete. If they expressed that they had symptoms, then 10 times out of 10, we were able to get it on the rapid testing units. So I'm very confident in the testing reliability at this point. Let's talk about football for a second. In this spring football season, we're about to embark on. What will the protocols be like for football? For football specifically, um, we were going to revert back to kind of what we did in the fall. So the coaches have done a really good job as far as monitoring locker room numbers, um, which is what I think is going to be our case where we're going to see our cases is in the locker rooms where the guys tend, want to tend to gather because that's been a safe haven you know, for those individuals. And for, I mean, it's just a part of playing football and playing sports in general. You want to hang out with your friends. So I think we're going to continue to monitor our locker room numbers. We're going to keep guys moving on the field. We're going to structure practices uh, to where there's guys aren't having as much direct contact with the same individuals all the time. We ask that our student athletes wear the gators or mask out to practice. And Coach Wright has done an extremely good job about that. So um, we saw a lot of success with everything that we were doing in the fall with football, and I think we're going to kind of go back to that. And on top of that, there's a lot of really good research and studies that came out that shows, shows that at least with soccer and football, there's not a lot of on-field transmission. 
not to say that it won't happen, but the likelihood that on-field transmission happens playing your sport, it's just not there. So, I mean, those are, you're talking about two physical contact sports where people, people sweat on each other, you know, when you play football and, and soccer in, in tennis, you're talking about athletes that are, are separated by more than six foot. When you're talking about, uh, playing singles, most of the time, what sports are at the highest risk then for a transmission? There's still a lot we don't know about basketball and indoor sports. Um, we, we were able to get through the fall and really see a lot of success with the outdoor sports. You got a lot of air circulation, but we really haven't seen the full, and I don't think we will have a full understanding until we finish a spring with a lot of our indoor sports, such as basketball and volleyball. So I think those two are going to be, they're the most at, at suspect um, sports right now. And I think once we get through the spring, we're really going to have a better understanding of the transmission within volleyball and basketball. And I think the, the data that we're gathering with the Connexon and the GPS units, tracking contacts, and then going back and looking retrospectively at the data to see, okay, this kid had a positive case and did anybody else contract it? What was their time interaction? And I think once we can gather that data and we can go back and look at it retrospectively, we'll have a better idea. So the GPS system, now that's something that I've heard about it at the, uh, certainly I've heard about it at, at the professional sports level, in particular, the NFL has been using it for everybody in their facilities at, at most of the NFL clubs. Is that something that's, that's happening now at, at UTC? We are still waiting on our units. They got back ordered just due to the influx of orders, um, but we we have ordered them. We ordered them back in December at early December, and they're getting they're still you know in the process to come in. But most of the Southern Conference teams have their units, and what those units can do, what makes them really unique, is they communicate with each other. So if we play Western Carolina and they have their units, and we play. Um, and we both have our units and we're playing, and somebody tests positive from that game, we can go back and look at which players on the opposing team had contact with most of our guys too, and hopefully quarantine and isolate those individuals who are most at risk. A system like that, I'm going to assume here that it, it's not cheap. No, sir. Do you see a benefit for that once the the pandemic is under control once that it's not so much of a threat is there a long-term purpose for equipment like that yes sir i do think that there's a long-term purpose for it i think we can continue to use those units and the gps units to track volume load at practice for individuals for return to play and injury risk management now obviously there's going to be some lag time we'll have to analyze the data and go back and look at it and, and make some correlations, but I think there's an extremely good benefit to using those, not just during the pandemic, but post-pandemic to track volume load of our players and get them back safely from an injury. You talk about the lag time in a system like this. How long will it take before the information is, is available to you after, let's say, after a basketball game? Instantaneous. Wow. Yeah, we can go back and look at it, and they say, all right, well, this is our most at-risk guys. If anybody tests positive, we can look at it and say, all right, we need to watch these guys. And if anybody comes up positive, these are primary culprits. They were within six feet for more than 15 minutes, and we can go look at that. 
we had a good talk here a couple of weeks ago with Kyle Rochelle, the, uh, the Mox wrestling coach about, about wrestling. And, and I had heard things. And one of the questions I asked him was, was wrestling in a mask. And, and I even had somebody at the, uh, at the match here, uh, the other week when, when, uh, the Mox wrestled, uh, against Emmanuel college, are these guys going to be wearing masks? And it's, you know, that's not safe. Um, how do you manage something like that where, uh, when, when wearing mask becomes something that, that isn't safe for an athlete, such as in wrestling? I think that goes back to structure and, and how you structure matches and opponents. And I think wrestling can be done in a safe way. And there's been a stigma associated with wrestling because it's such a high contact sport, but if we change our perception, we take a step back and we really look at wrestling, can we change how matches look? Maybe it's just one, this guy's going to wrestle this guy and that's it. And that's how you minimize contact and minimize exposure as you set, you know, and that's kind of what we've done with practice. Like we have structured practice to where an individual only wrestles with this individual this week and then they'll rotate it next week. So um, I think there's a way that it can be done and all sports can be successful, but we have to take in consideration, you know, our parameters and their constrictions right now. We take a step back of what we've always done. We look at what we have to do to be successful, to mitigate risk. We implement those. And I think every sport can be successful um, while mitigating risk. What's the sanit the sanitization process like? I mean, you talk about a wrestling mat, a basketball court, um, the actual basketballs and or footballs that, that are used. What's the, what's the sanitation, uh, process like? It is, um, the measures that we've taken to, to sanitize the facilities and keep them clean have been tremendous. Now, obviously I think wrestling is always a little bit more equipped to disinfect and sanitize everything just because of the nature of the sport and the, the risk of, um, uh, skin infections and stuff of that nature. But we've also went above and beyond. We've purchased some Clorox 360 spray machines that uh, atomize um, a cleaning solution and we spray all the, the services in the training room. We've got two of those. We've partnered with a company uh, that is also going to come in and they're going to clean the facilities post basketball games. Um, we've really restricted like the sharing of equipment and our basketball and staff athletic trainers have done a really good job of even taking care of just little things like taking care of the referees. Each referee gets a sanitization bucket that this is yours. This is your hand sanitizer. This is maybe a towel that you can wipe off with. Here's your own bottle or here's a couple of bottles of water. So we've taken pretty um, significant measures to mitigate risk and, and increase sanitation. What do you know now that you wished you would have known in February, March? don't panic. Um, and not to say that necessarily we panicked, but we were always trying to come up with, to want to say one step ahead of it. And you, you can't stay one step ahead of this thing. You have to move with it. You have to be fluid in everything that you do. And I think we now, as opposed to then, um, is we are just being a little bit more cautious and, and slow to make change and let's see how this thing changes because it's going to change two three times even in a week so we've really slowed down 
um, our decision-making process and stopped being as reactionary mm-hmm. and just kind of rolling with the process as opposed to we were trying to stay way ahead of it and predict where this thing was going. And we just couldn't do it. And I don't think anybody can, even now we can't really predict where it's going. So we just, we just stay, we just stay with it now. Vaccines are becoming available now, obviously uh, young folks, especially healthy young folks, they're going to be way down the list in terms from a priority standpoint, when it comes to the vaccine, how likely is it based on what you know, that we could have somewhat of a normal fall for 2021. Is that possible that Finley Stadium can be back to capacity and that football season can begin on time and as scheduled in the fall of 2021? I'm optimistic about it, but I'm also realistic about it. Um, There with any new process, it's kind of like when we started this thing in March, there is going to be hiccups and there are going to be snags. And just like we have had to adjust and figure things out, the the health departments, the local health departments, the governments, the hospitals, they're all trying to figure this thing out as well. And I think that's the reason for the slow vaccine rollout that we've seen is this is such, such a brand new and it's such an ambitious endeavor for everyone that uh, it's going to take everyone a while to figure out what is the most efficient process to vaccinate um, as many people as possible. And I'm hopeful um, and optimistic by the time we hit fall that we're going to have a good percentage of people vaccinated, at least those who uh, want to get it, have the opportunity to get it to where we can see somewhat of a normal fall. Um, there's still going to be some lingering doubts and people, there's going to be some hesitation from some folks not to come out, but I am optimistic that we're going to see somewhat of a normal fall compared to, uh, the previous. Nathan Barger, the director of sports medicine, Nathan, appreciate the time, man, as always, and certainly appreciate everything you and your staff are doing to, uh, uh, try to keep this thing safe and and allow us to to be able to have athletics at, at utc yes sir thank you appreciate you guys having me that's going to do it for us this week here on mox on the mic thanks again to nathan barger for spending a few minutes with us for our producer tate johnson i'm chris goforth saying thanks for being with us so long everybody and go mox thanks for listening to mox on the mic Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review, and we'll see you again soon.